Welcome to Ono, oh Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I am Carrie Poppy. I'm Ross Blotcher, and this is an exciting episode from Carrie Poppy. It's a talk that you gave. Yeah, and you got to listen to. You've yeah. heard part of it, but not all of it as we're recording this. I'm working my way through in the edit, and uh, it's it's excellent. What if halfway through I really fuck it up? Then, then I take back everything up. I said. <laughs> Yeah, if you get more than half an hour into it and then you're like, oh, this really took a turn, just know that I felt it with you. (laughs) Ross doesn't condone after minute 29. I feel confidence that the quality level will remain consistent. But (laughs) this is really useful info and the kind of thing that we talk about all the time. So it's a little peek behind the glass as to how Carrie does these searches on the various experts that we encounter, but also a how-to on how you can do the same thing. Yeah, that's the idea. So this was at Max Fun Con, which is a conference put on by our network, Maximum Fun, roughly every year, though COVID, of course, changed that. Uh, and this actually might be the the last Max Fun Con, and oh. it's been going on for like 15 years. So oh, wow. yeah, it was a really big deal. I know. But it was a really big honor to be asked. And at first, actually, they asked us to do a show, but you were off poll volunteering. Yeah, I was twiddling my thumbs at the polls. Almost nobody showed up <laughs> Saturday and Sunday, but it got busy Monday, and it was legit busy Tuesday. So that was good. Okay. It's a, about the best excuse you could possibly have. So okay. uh, yeah, I, I really <laughs> would have loved to have been there for sure. And and uh, I'm, yeah. gl- I'm glad that you got to go. And Drew as well. Yeah, Drew taught an improv class. It sold out both times. So cool. Yeah, it was really, really fun. And so usually they do classes of various kinds. And this time I was like, okay, you guys, this is a class. Like, people need to bring notes. This is a real, <laughs> you sure you want this? This is a class. <laughs> but people were really into it. And they asked really great, engaged questions. And I was like, oh, good. You really are paying attention and following. And this is stuff that I love to talk about, but you never know exactly how boring or interesting it is if you're not you right so this was great I I really enjoyed doing it I hope it's helpful to people I think it will be and for everybody who was there and attended what was it bar trivia I think you were counter programmed against (laughs) Uh, yeah pub trivia now this is your chance to catch up if you're like oh I really would like to go to Carrie's talk now you can see what you missed and I, I see you I respect you I get why you did it so here it is enjoy Thanks so much for being here at 9.30, my gosh. Uh, Early for learning. The second class is slightly smaller, and I was like, oh, what are we up against in the second slot? And it's pub trivia, and I was like, yeah, okay, that that definitely splits up this crowd. Like, the uber nerds went to pub trivia, I get it. All right, so thank you for coming to Spotting a Bad Expert. So I'm Carrie Poppy. I co-host a podcast called Ona, Ross, and Carrie, and we're an invest. Thank you. Uh, we're an investigative journalism podcast. Totally okay if you haven't heard it. Is anybody here just because you thought the subject matter sounded cool, but you have no idea who I am? Oh, wonderful. Oh, I love it. I love it. Great. Okay, so on our show, we do a number of things, but the guts and glue of what we do is investigate fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. 
And in the course of doing that, we've run into a lot of people who uh, consider themselves experts and share qualifications that are questionable. And so I've, I've become very skilled at sort of figuring out quickly if the bona fides someone is giving are legitimate. And so there are four ways I'm going to show you that you can really narrow in on to try to figure this out as quickly as you can. And they grow in intensity. So I'm going to show you some of the simpler ones and then some of the like, I'm really obsessing about this person ones. Um, And I don't know if they made it here. We had some printouts to try to make your note taking a little easier. Maybe they didn't make it. Is anybody from MaxFun here? No. Okay. I would recommend taking notes because I'm going to say a lot of like weird names of websites and stuff that you'll think you'll remember and then you won't. Okay. So spotting a bad expert for a little fun and almost no profit. You're you're not going to get rich doing this. That's for sure. So we're going to learn how to check someone's license. We're going to learn how to check a degree, which seems to be what a lot of people are very curious about. So we'll spend a little bit of time there. And a college affiliation, if someone says, I used to teach at Harvard, how do you figure out what that means and whether it's true? Check a business license and finally find lawsuits, which that's the most intense thing you can probably do of the four. Okay, so who am I? I'm Carrie Poppy. I already told you what I do. So I've researched like hundreds now of authors, speakers, fringe science providers, doctors, and other experts. I'm not going to argue in this talk about whether we should call them experts. If they consider themselves an expert, fine. It, you know, it's a, uh, it's a subjective word, right? So I don't recommend fighting with your friend about whether that person is really an expert. Let's just agree. Fine, they're an expert. Are they a good one? <laughs> um, So I got my master's in investigative journalism from USC, and a lot of my work centers around uh, science, pseudoscience, and especially clinical psychology. That's what I've been working on a lot in the last few years. So a lot of my references will be in that world, but I will try to globalize so we can think together about different applications. And right now, I'm, I'm writing a book about the trauma treatment industry, which unfortunately is rife with pseudoscience. So I have had to check so many experts in that field. Interestingly, most of them having graduated from Harvard. So Harvard's going to come up a surprising amount of times in this talk. So who's this for? Yeah, I'd like to know who you guys are. The last time I gave this talk, it was at Harvard. Um, and <laughs> um, But it was mostly for people who are studying to be therapists. So I assume that's not this crowd. So who here, and and we can use these terms broadly, who broadly considers themselves a journalist, a blogger, or a media professional? Be, yeah, be so generous with yourself. Okay, cool, cool. A couple. Great. Awesome. How about just activists, advocates? Awesome. Great. Love it. Any mental health professionals? Okay, cool. A couple. Awesome. How about something else? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Good friends looking out for the people around them, making sure their doctors are cool and stuff. These are the people we need the most. Also, if you'd rather not say, that's fine. Okay. So what is an expert? I mean, we don't know. right? Like, I I get called an expert all the time on various things, and I I always am like, oh, no, 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 I'm not. And then I realize, like, to the person I'm talking to, apparently I am. I know more about that thing than they do, and this is really all this word means, right? So, again, I'm just, just don't argue with your friend about this point. Just get to, like, okay, fine, that person's an expert. Awesome. But they say that they graduated from so-and-so. Did they? 
they say they produced a lot of scientific papers. Can we find those? Like, let's really get to the actual documentation of what this person claims. So I'm going to make up this person, Dr. Pineapple Cooper Denoy, totally made up. So let's say she writes articles online that are going gangbusters. She has, there's a lot of videos going around where it says she's an expert, but she doesn't believe in COVID or whatever. And, or maybe your friend's getting a service from her that sounds dangerous to you, or your aunt just gave you her book. <laughs> um, or she's giving advice that seems to just go against the prevailing understanding in her field. What do we do with that? Like, okay, this person is a doctor, but they seem to disagree with all the other doctors. What do I do now? Or she's saying something just downright ridiculous, like pineapple cures ADHD. A claim I've heard. <laughs> so your first instinct might be, help me, Ross and Carrie, or, or help me, journalists, right? I'm going to go to Google, and I'm going to type in, like, critic of pineapple Dr. Pineapple. And if you have great reporting, that will save you the entire rest of this process most of the time. But a lot of the time you go here, you look and no one's reported on this person. And uh, so what do you do next? You show up. <laughs> so our tagline on the show is we show up so you don't have to. And we do try to show up so you don't have to as often as we can. But there's, you know, there's so much to check that sometimes you got to do it yourself. So I'm going to try to try to teach you some some skills for doing that. So lots of fields are basically unregulated. Journalism is one. Keep this in mind. When someone says they are a journalist, uh, like me, that's the same as saying, like, I'm an actor. That person might be in a community theater production. They might have a undergrad degree in theater or they might be Tom Hanks, right? And all three of those are accurate. That The person who went to, who got a a BA in theater, they're not lying about being an actor, right? So a lot of fields are like that, and journalism is one. So when you are looking through journalistic results, when you're searching for these people, keep in mind that that journalist is only as good as the sources they're providing, the showing their work that they give you. But, okay, bad experts often overstate or falsify checkable bona fides. And that's your entry point. This is the easiest way to figure out if someone is kind of pulling the wool over your eyes. Everybody is tempted to embellish a little. And I don't think that it would be accurate to say if someone embellished a little, you should throw away everything they say. I think we all do this a tiny bit. It would be very easy for me, for example, to say I teach at Harvard. But this, that would be so misleading, right? Like I go and I guest lecture every once in a while to this one class. They pay me $250. <laughs> you know, I do it once a semester, right? If I started saying like I'm a Harvard teacher, it wouldn't be false, but it would give you a different impression about what my relationship is to that school. So... Most people do sort of a version of that, and sometimes it's really egregious. And so we're going to sort of look for those, those entry points. The, the, the easiest places, I think, the easiest entry points are licensed classes. So if someone is a doctor, they have to be licensed. You don't just get to call yourself doctor. You don't just get to call yourself therapist either. If someone's using the word therapist in most states, that is illegal unless they are licensed. Dentist, you know, these are the licensed classes. Degrees, universities are extremely friendly about talking to you about their alumni's degrees. Professional affiliations, we won't talk about as much here, but just to keep in mind, if you did want to figure out 
say for me, if you wanted to be like, well, who, who the heck is this? And you wanted to call up the Society of Professional Journalists and say, does this person happen to belong? They would say yes. And, you know, that would at least give you a sense like, okay, she's been through some vetting process, even if that's not a regulatory system. And associations with universities. So in addition to degrees, there's people who just say they taught there or they lectured there or whatever. Okay, so we're going to have you guys all put your journalist hat on. I want you to use the term journalist so broadly in your mind. I think people are too precious about what counts as a journalist. If you are a blogger, if you are a podcaster, and you want to tell the truth to people and help them, it is fine if you call yourself a journalist. If you need to contact one of these places and say, I plan to talk on my podcast or write on my blog or write a medium post about this doctor and I need some information, go ahead, call yourself media. Like we live in a very connected world where your medium post very well may reach other people who might go to that doctor. You are just as relevant as the rest of the media professionals. And okay, here's, here's a piece of advice that was given in journalism school that I feel like was worth all the money I paid for journalism school, which is very rarely are you looking for information. You are looking for documents. The information is what sticks in the human mind. The document is what proves you are telling the truth. And it is the thing that saves you in a lawsuit. (laughs) And unfortunately, especially in the United States, we do have to care about that. Um, So you're always looking for a document. Now, a document might mean something someone already drew up, like a contract or a a school diploma, or it might be something new. It might be an email that a registrar wrote to you that you saved, and now it is a document. It's written down. The weakest form of documentation, but still a form, is your own notes. So if you have to call someone on the phone, you can't get them via email, and you just take notes on that phone call, Put down the date, put it all in the same pen. You don't want to switch pens because it looks like you went back a day later and added stuff. And and write like the time, write how long you were on the phone, write who you spoke to, and that will be your documentation. And a lot of people have saved themselves in lawsuits with their notes, so take notes. Okay, so universities. I'm starting here because it's my favorite. I love talking to universities. They're so friendly about this. I really think, I mean, maybe I'm just like starry-eyed about the academic system, but in general, they they like what you're doing. (laughs) They like that you're checking. They're kind of on the same page about like, yeah, people shouldn't be lying about their credentials or overstating their credentials. And we're proud of our alumni who have actually gone through the system and we don't want other people just claiming it. And they tend to be very open to this process. And they tend to be really organized. If they're really big, if you're talking about like a Harvard, an MIT, a UCLA, they handle a lot of these requests. So they also won't think you're weird for contacting them about it. So, okay, let's imagine I was bullshitting you earlier when I showed you my bio. And so you're looking through this list and you're thinking, okay, I want documents. Which of these things do you think you could document? UCLA is an interesting pitch because, okay. (laughs) Yeah, USC, exactly. So these other things would be much harder to check. You could, you could, but they'd take a lot more time. I got, this is so specific though. I got my master's in investigative journalism from the University of Southern California, 2015. 
So, yes, uh, that is the claim that you actually can document. Student records. Okay, here we go. Okay, so student records are maintained by every university in the United States. And even if they close, if they burn down, if they were closed down by the FBI, all of their records still go somewhere. So when a school becomes accredited, they have to agree to this process that, you know, even if we go out of business, we're still going to spend some of our last dying dollars on making sure all of our records go somewhere. I have had to chase down records literally from a college that got closed by the FBI (laughs) and this other college just like in Hawaii. Sorry, the first college was in California. This other college in Hawaii had their records and just like in an old file somewhere because that was who was assigned to keep them. Um, So they are somewhere. If someone tells you like, oh, I I graduated from so-and-so and I have a doctorate, but that place closed, you won't be able to find it. No. You will find it. You can find it. And they should be able to, too. Okay, so we'll ask the school. So you can ask for what's called directory information about anyone. Anyone who ever went to that school. Anyone. A private person, a public person, anyone. If they ever signed up for a class and attended one class, they are considered an alumnus. So if they didn't graduate, but they're saying they graduated, They're in that record. If they did graduate, of course, they're in that record. So what counts as directory information differs from school to school. So each school gets to decide, well, what information do we consider worthy of public knowledge? Most schools will define this as the student's name, their birth date, when they graduated, and what degree they got and in what. Some will add really weird things (laughs) like their home address and, and that's really caused a problem, right? Because some people have that mm, reaction. And so they go to the school and they say, I don't want you to do this. Like, I don't want my mom's home address out there. And they end up putting a block on their records. And we'll talk about blocks in a second. But th- this has kind of like thrown a little bit of a wrench in the works. So the better system would be for the U.S. government to actually say what is director information. But this is the system we've got. And so we're going to learn to work with it. If you, let's say you're going to contact a university because you've heard that Dr. Pineapple Denoy says she went to MIT and you're going to ask for her directory information. You don't need to ask for all of it. If it weirds you out that they might have her personal address, you can say, I just need to know the date she graduated and what she graduated with. They do not have to go ask her. If they act like they need to go ask her, You can very politely assume that this person just hasn't done a lot of these requests. They don't know what the rules are. It's not a big deal. Don't yell at them. Be nice. But you can be like, oh, you know what? Actually, under the law, you actually don't need to ask her permission unless she has blocked the records. And if you want to figure out what that school counts as directory information, it's usually printed in their registrar booklet because they have to tell the students uh, what the directory information is. Okay, so there are two big exceptions to this process. So exception one is called a FERPA block. Has anybody heard of a FERPA block? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, one person. Okay. Congratulations. Um, Okay, so FERPA is the, ooh, do I know what FERPA stands for? Federal Educational. I would say Family Educational Rights and Privileges Act. 
Okay, that sounds right. <laughs> it's one of those things where I say the acronym so often I never even thought about what it stands for. But okay, FERPA is a national law that says you can block your records. You can go to your alma mater and you can say, I don't want you to answer any of these requests. And they have to follow suit. Very few people even know this exists. So you don't run into them a ton of the time. But if you're dealing with a bad expert, they have met, may have spent a lot of time Googling how do I be a bad expert and uh, figured out that they can put a FERPA block on their records. So I hit them like one out of every 10 or 20 times. I usually consider them suspicious. <laughs> Why would you block your records, especially if you are talking about your relationship to this university? That's weird. But here's a really weird thing about FERPA. Ugh. Okay. FERPA also says if a student blocks their records, you can't release them and you cannot acknowledge the block exists. <laughs> so you have these bizarre. Yeah, exactly. So you have. Classified information is exactly the same. Okay. Yeah, I believe it. He was saying, uh, they were saying classified information is the same way. Yeah. So you will get these bizarre responses that are like, there are no records to satisfy your request. <laughs> if you are unfamiliar with FERPA laws, we suggest you learn them. <laughs> so, stuff like that. And so I personally, and people differ with how to respond to this, I like to have a written record of like, every thought <laughs> I'm having in this process. So I will write back and say, I infer from what you're saying that this student has put a FERPA block on. I understand. I'm going to contact them directly. You do not need to acknowledge this note. And then that lets them off the hook, but I have a record of where my thought process is so that if there's a worst-case scenario and I get sued over this or this person gets really mad and, I don't know, talks shit on me online and I want to show I did my due diligence, I have this long written record of, like, everything that was going on. Okay. One thing, though, this does tell you, if you hit this, is they really did register for a class there because you can't put a FERPA block up at a school you didn't attend. So I can't call MIT and say, if someone calls and asks if I went to MIT, don't tell them. <laughs> if someone calls that school that I have no affiliation with, they're going to be like, we've never heard of this woman. And so it gives you a little information. So is this suspicious or not? Most of the time it is to me. And most of the time, I will use this opportunity to go to the student and be like, what's up? <laughs> I looked up your records, and you put a block on them. Why? There's been, I'm only thinking of one example where I got a response where I was like, that's legit. Okay. All right. I get it. I get why you did that. It was a person with a really, really intense privacy concern for a really reasonable reason and a very uncommon situation. So having that conversation with that person can be important. Another thing you want to consider is if you know that this person's gender identity has changed, that could be a reason that they kind of clammed up and they, they thought like, I really don't want any of my past life out there. That can create, you know, a problem if they're still talking about that, their affiliation with that university. So you really want to have like a very honest conversation with this person like, okay, now I'm in a difficult position. Help me work with you to protect your privacy and confirm what I need to confirm. One thing they can do is they can contact the university and they can say, hey, um, this reporter is trying to follow up on me. I want her to know I went to your school. I really don't want her to have other information. And I would like it to be under my current name and my preferred gender identity. And the school will update the record. I had a question about that, which yeah. is um, 
probably in a lot of cases where it's somebody whose gender identity has changed, you mm -hmm. might not know the name that they went to the school under. Yep. Is there a way to like kind of see if you can get the vague idea of the record, even if you can't? Can you say that this person has this last name and this uh, yeah. is claiming that they have this degree? Can you conf do, do you think that would be enough information to get past to to uh, make a FERPA request? Yeah. So okay, I'm having a few thoughts at once, and one is that. We're describing a situation where that person, you know, I'm having a strong concern for their privacy, right? And then I'm also having a strong concern for the truth. And, you know, we don't want them to be lying about their bona fides. So I think in that situation, if you had the date of birth and you had the last name, you'd be likely to at least make a point of contact with their records. I, I changed my name in 2012. So my given name was Caroline Snyder. And I've contacted my past universities and just told them. So that makes that search very easy. But I would suspect if you said someone who was born July 13th, 1983, and we think graduated between 2004 and 2006, and here's what she majored in, I think they would probably be able to narrow the search enough to figure out what you're talking about. Um, yeah, no problem. Oh, okay. This is just a side plea. If you're hearing all of this and going, I have to verbal block my records, um, do whatever you need to do to, to feel safe. Baseline, if you feel like uh, your personal history is very delicate or you really don't want your home address out there and stuff, totally get it. Please just don't block <laughs> what you majored in and when you graduated because that's the part that really helps journalists do their job and helps this system keep running, right? And you can be specific about what you want them to block. A lot of people think they either have to put up a total block or no block at all. Not true. You can tell them, like, just don't give out my address. Just don't give out my family's names. Just don't give out my email, whatever. And tell them the specific things they can give out. FERPA's purpose, of course, is to protect students. One thing that means for you, the person calling the university, is that you're just an interloper. Like, you don't have standing here. Um, the relationship is between the university and the student, and you're just like a third person knocking on the door. And their primary concern is that student, and it should be. And that student, if they fuck this up, that student can sue them to high hell. If they fuck it up for you, eh, like, maybe you could try to sue them, maybe, but you are, you are way down the list of concerns. So the wisest thing and the nicest thing is to just be so deferential in these requests. Just assume that the person you're talking to is your cousin Erin, and she's so sweet, and she's trying to find the thing for you, and she wants to give you what you want. You know, assume that they're really trying, and... And thank them. Treat it like they're doing you a favor. If you say stuff like, it would just really help me out if you blank. It would really make my work easier. Then they feel like, oh, I, you know, everybody wants to be helpful, right? Oh, okay, I, I can help this person. I've seen this fail multiple times because the person was like, well, actually, under FERPA, you, uh, you are allowed to give me this without calling the person. You're right, but you don't have any recourse if you piss this person off and they don't give it to you. So just be nice. Okay. Did someone else say your expert went to this university? You need to get really clear on this. So sometimes someone else will say, I heard he went to UCLA and he majored in neuroscience. That's impressive. And then our, our expert goes, this is convenient. I didn't say I went to UCLA. 
I will just let this slide. This happens more than you'd think. And it creates kind of a weird gray area for you, the person trying to call this out. What is the responsibility of our expert in this situation? Like if someone said about me that I taught at Harvard, do I need to chase down every person who says that and be like, well, actually, to be specific, sometimes I'm a guest lecturer. It's $250. Probably not. But if it were over and over and over, maybe I should clarify that. So you want to get really, really clear on what you're essentially accusing this person of, right? Especially because, again, lawsuits, if, if you say that they are lying and it turns out they're just kind of not correcting someone else's lie, you've gotten yourself in some real hot water. So just get really, really clear on this. This is, um, I want to say I learned this the hard way. I didn't get sued, but I did think someone was saying that he went to Harvard. And when I finally went and looked, I was like, oh, everyone around him says he went to Harvard. He hasn't said it once. I can't find one place. So something to watch out for. Okay, there's a second exception, institutional denial. So the school can also decide not to give you the records. They can do it for pretty much any reason they want. This has only happened to me one time, and it was a Christian university, and I... (laughs) um, And (laughs) I think... That they, you know, they Googled me and they were like, oh, I think she's up to something. We don't really want to give her these records. So I was asking them about a guy who was performing exorcisms, but he was also a therapist. And he had, (laughs) yeah, cool. Um, But he had gone to this university and he was, you know, talking about his affiliation therewith. And so I'm thinking, well, they're going to want to disown him. Even if he went there, they might be like, yes, he he went here, but we don't agree with X, Y, Z. But no, they just came back and said, we choose not to release these records. Okay. So it puts you in an awkward position. Uh, At this point, this is usually something where you have to just sort of be confrontational with the expert and be like, I don't know why the school doesn't want to tell me you went there. Clearly, you took at least one class, but do you have your diploma? <laughs> but this is a hard one to get around, which is another reason. Be nice. Be nice to the university. But I would say these are extremely rare. Like I say, one uh, it's happened to me once out of a few hundred of these. Okay, let's write the email. <laughs> okay, so this is someone writing an email. Okay, so let's say we want to either find out about Carrie Poppy's master's degree or Dr. Pineapple's doctorate. What do we do? So you're going to go to the university's website. If you are media, and again, by any stretch of the mind, if you are media, if you plan to share this, think of it that way. If you plan to share this information, it's not just for you. Media. So you're going to find the media coordinator's email. If you're not media by any stretch of the mind or that just feels really uncomfortable for you, you can find the registrar's email. But I'll tell you right now, that avenue is going to be slower and weaker because you don't have, you know, the pressure of the outside world bearing in on them. Oh, my God, people are going to see what I say. Info email is also okay when you see that, like, info at ucla.edu. You know, you're going to go through a chain of command and really have to keep on the thing. But eh, last case resort, it's okay. When you write the email, you're going to gather everything you can find on their legal name, any aliases, 
their date of birth and the exact claim they made. So the degree, the date, the major, if they said all that, if they didn't, that's okay. You can just say they say they went to USC and where they made the claim. If you've got a link, awesome. If it was at an event you went to, you can just summarize it and say, I went to their talk and they said this, but, it, but the talk was on March 3rd, 2020, and they claim to have a degree from your school. When they understand why you're asking, they're much more likely to want to help you. They really do get it. Like if you, if you say like this, this lady is telling my friend that pineapple will cure ADHD. I'm worried about this. Did she really even go to your school? They a hundred percent understand and they will get on it. So uh, again, your only recourse if you burn this bridge is to attempt a lawsuit with the university. You almost definitely won't win. Be so polite. Okay, so here's a media request I made. This was just like a week or two ago. So first, I tell them who I am. I try to make them freak out by telling them how many downloads we have. <laughs> I co-host a podcast called Ona, Ross, and Carrie that gets about half a million listeners a month across our catalog. This is a degree verification request. So I'm asking, can you please confirm or disconfirm that Billy Cameron Carson II, and then I give his date of birth, September 4th, 1971, holds a, and then we have quotation marks, certificate of science with an emphasis on neuroscience at MIT, end quote. I'm not summarizing what he said. If I have the exact language, I'm going to use it. This is information he offered at a talk he recently gave at a conference with several hundred attendees in Southern California. So now they get the stakes, right? It's not just, I'm not just writing to them about like my GP. I'm writing to them about someone who has a sizable audience and I'm going to share this with an even more sizable audience. It matters. Then I give them my timeline. This request is for our next episode, which tapes in about a week. So a response by June 1st would be most helpful. Always say this next part. If that's not possible, I would still kindly ask that my request be cued. Because you don't, a lot of times this happens, you don't want to fall off their radar because they see that date and go, well, that already passed. She doesn't need this. So always say, like, still cue it. I still want it. I'll follow up later. And usually you can expect to wait like a week if it's a media request. Um, And I'll talk about what happens if it's a, a more private citizen request. Okay, so we did it. They replied. Okay, so she wrote back. Hi, Carrie. My colleague, Melanie, passed on your inquiry. We shared your question with MIT Sloan Executive Education, and they confirmed that Billy Carson II earned a certificate of completion from MIT Sloan Executive Education in October 2018 after completing a 2D course (laughs) on applied neuroscience. Oh, <laughs> so ready for surgery. Exactly. Yeah. So so this guy was giving a talk at uh, the Conscious Life Expo, which is a big paranormal event. And he was saying that he had degrees from MIT and Harvard. So we had written to both of them. Not technically wrong, I guess. But again, this is one of those like, oh, the claim is really puffed up. So uh, before I move on. Just to point out, this is now a record of the record. So somewhere at MIT, in a formal database somewhere, they had his name and they had what he passed, right? They didn't send me that. That's okay. But they did send me a record of the record. So this email is now your record. This is the thing you want to keep forever. You don't want to lose it. You don't want to put it in your inbox and just assume you'll always be able to sign in there. 
download it, get the PDF, put it in whatever, because this is what proves you did your work. And then take this opportunity to think out loud on paper. So you know how I said earlier, I try to make sure there's just this long paper trail of like everything I was thinking. You can see me and Ross doing this in real time. So Ross, my co-host, is CC'd here. And he writes back, "Uh, thank you, Sarah and Melanie and Carrie. I appreciate the follow-up. Deferential. It looks like it may have been an earlier offering of this course and links to one. So now we're, we are like speculating a little with her, but we're giving her an opportunity to be like, oh, no, 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 that's not what I mean. You misunderstand me. So we don't get this wrong. And then I'm having, I'm thinking something else. When I read this, I'm thinking, oh, I just think he really puffed up his credentials. I'm going to make sure I write that down. Um, so I write down, gotcha, perhaps a bit of a bloated way on his part to express that, but I'm glad it's basically true. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, so now this is all written down, and if he ever comes and sues me, I have this, you know, this like, hey, listen, <laughs> I spelled this out for MIT, and they did not go, whoa, 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 whoa. I wouldn't say it was bloated. They didn't stop me, right? They, they read this. Um, so it, it helps you in the future. Thinking out loud, thinking out loud on paper. Okay, so let's say you're one of those really sad individuals who doesn't even have a podcast. <laughs> Does anyone here not even have a podcast? Oh, my God. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, thank God. <laughs> there's, there's so many. <laughs> That's totally okay. Okay, so, uh, again, we're, do think broadly. If you're willing to put this up on Medium or whatever, your media. But if that makes you uncomfortable or you're not ready for that, that's okay. You can email the registrar, still say this is a public directory information request, and really hit hard on why the information matters. This doctor is treating my friend with this treatment that sounds really dangerous to me. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. He also mentioned he goes to your university, and I just wanted to make sure he does, or that he did. That's usually what will, like, get you through on this kind of request. You know, just, like, really be human about it, I guess is what I'm saying. Usually this takes, like, two weeks, and you might have to explain to people kind of, you know, it'll kind of be more of a conversation. I find that with the media requests, I get a response or something approaching a response pretty quickly with this there might be more of a back and forth more of a you building a relationship with this person persuading them it's important perhaps that it shouldn't be that way but that is how it is if the school is teeny teeny tiny you might be the first request like this they've ever gotten so just walk them through it and don't make them feel dumb don't don't be like well it's in FERPA haven't you read FERPA say you know you could even say I get it. I just learned that this information is available publicly. But if you, you know, if you look at the law, actually, you can give this out to anybody as long as it's directory information. You can link them to their own registrar page or wherever they listed what directory information is. Teach them about their own process. No one actually knows everything in their registration booklet. This is not a failure on their part. So just lead them through it. And this is really an unusual part of their job. The really big institutions, they do do it a lot, so they they usually will recognize these requests, but it's still a tiny percentage of what they do for the day, and even more so with these tiny operations. 
Okay, what if he says he taught there? This is actually, I find, a little bit easier. Because there's no uh, FERPA issue, there's no national privacy law for faculty, usually they'll just straight up answer you. Most universities will tell you how long they taught there, their beginning date, their end date, what department they taught in, maybe not what classes, but what department they taught in. A few will tell you the nature of their being let go. Not always, but I, I have had it happen where they'll, I'll just say, can you tell me if it was the end of a contract, a firing, or they moved on voluntarily? And I, I have had, I can only think of two, but I have had two places say like, they were fired. <laughs> The privacy laws for employment do vary state to state. So some, some places will just say, all I can tell you is he worked here from this state to this state. Okay. <laughs> Questions on universities before we move on to registry or uh, what are they called? <laughs> Regulations. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. We have a microphone for you. You said that even if a school closes, their records get sent somewhere. How do I find where they got sent to? Because there's a lot of those for-profit universities that closed in California. Yes. Yeah. So wherever they were accredited, which sometimes will be some real bofunk operation, but wherever they were accredited will have the listing of where the records went to. So you're probably going to be doing a bit of digging in the particular instance you're talking about. But if you can find, say, an old course listing for that university, that will say who accredited them. You're, you're blinking at me like, girl, it's not accredited. Okay. Well, no, I'm thinking if they took federal financial aid dollars and you're able to get a federal student loan, then they had to have been accredited yeah, somewhere. Probably. So that's the trail I would I think so. Find. I would think so. Okay. Yeah. There was, <laughs> there was one lady who I called her she was supposedly a marriage expert. She was in a very bad documentary about marriage. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out where she got her doctorate. She kept being called Dr. Pat. And when I called her and asked her the name of her university, she did not know. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> she was like, it's either Golden State University or Golden Gate University. <laughs> so I had to like go and find these like shut down schools. So anyway, long story to say, I had to find old PDFs of this school's registration and then find where they were accredited. But once I could find that information, it was all smooth sailing. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. A lot of states have a Department of Higher Education, and you could go there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, especially if, if it's a more reputable place, that's uh, a great way to go. Would you like to repeat it into the microphone? Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. Okay. Another question. <laughs> um, so if you get information that's, like, more than just – I mean, I would argue that the bloated thing about the MIT course – is not just bloated, it's, it's a false, it's false, mm, okay. because a certificate is not the same as a degree. Well, yeah, he had a certificate of a course, right? He did. Um, so he said, holds a certificate of science with an emphasis on neuroscience. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, though, because our brains, well, first of all, let me say, I may have said degree as I was blowing through this story. So this may be a total my brain fart. Okay. But yeah. also, our brains smash all these details. Right. And, and it's normal to hear certificate of science and go like, oh, yeah, degree from MIT. Right. 
Right. Well, and we all know that our brains work that way, and so people exploit it. So I guess my, my question is, have you ever had something so egregious that you kind of felt like morally obligated to act on it more than just debunking it in your next podcast? <laughs> or, and or, mm -hmm. have you ever had a request that resulted in the university saying like, oh, I can't believe that someone would claim that because it makes the university look bad. Have you ever had something like that? Um, I have had the latter. I have had people say it's usually on the phone that they get that blunt about it. Right. And they usually won't want to write it down. But I have had people say like, oh, my God, that's crazy, stuff like that. And if they didn't say off the record, that goes in the notes. Um, now, as far as doing something more than just reporting on it, with, with this particular aspect, university checks, I can't think of a good example of that. With people who are saying they perform something that they don't have a license to perform, definitely. Uh, and when we talk about uh, checking a doctor, I'll tell you a story like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just going to ask how many people that you would consider frauds start with this and this is like the first mm. thing you find versus how many people actually do have creds or just don't even claim that they do. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, hmm. So are we looking at the total number of anybody who talks about their degrees and asking what percentage of that? I guess more like of the people you, you identify as frauds, mm -hmm. like how common is this kind of falsification as like the, the origin of your investigation? Oh, I see. Okay. So first, let me just be like so stupid nitpicky and just say, I'm really careful to not say words like fraud unless like the situation is dire. <laughs> but I would say this is probably where you find the most bloat. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah. So, so usually if somebody is making shit up, university is a good place to start looking for the shit they're making up. Um, I would say it makes up a big... If you were to take all the bullshit in a pool and say how much of that is bullshit around degrees, I would say it's probably 60%. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Question over here. So uh, what about like schools that are just like not really schools? Does that come up a lot mm. where it's like, I got my degree from something that isn't even a university <laughs> that you can email? Is that Yeah, I mean, <laughs> situation's easy there, right? <laughs> I mean, really, at that point, you're just looking up the school and being like, this is not real. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking of one person uh, that I've looked at for my trauma book um, who she has a very, very successful podcast and calls herself doctor. She does technically have a doctorate, but from like an online school that I was able to get into in about half an hour. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, you're just sort of like pointing out how weak the internal system is. Was there a gray area of places that like seem like they're universities? I mean, I feel like we drove hmm. past those in Ontario. <laughs> like, is that a real university of American college? Or I mean, what, you know? okay, yeah. I mean, there are diploma mills. You know, they're definitely those. Most of them operate offshore from the United States, but um, will still serve people in the United States. I mean, the great thing is about those is there's a lot of attention on them. Usually you don't have to dig quite so much because like the Department of Education will usually like have lists of these schools and you can even call them and say, have you ever heard of this? Should I be paying attention to a expert who graduated from it? And they'll usually be pretty frank with you. Like if this person graduated here, it means they paid $80. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Carrie. Yeah, Carrie's. 
Stuff Get it. off the stage! <laughs> There's important <laughs> things to talk about. And you know what? This whole expert vetting can wait. Yeah, I'm sick of this nonsense. What I want to talk about is food. Well, I know just what kind of food we should be talking about. And that's HelloFresh. Ugh, a fine meal service that... Oh my God, actually, that's so funny now that you say that. Because I think they sponsored in part this episode. Did they now? Well, I think so. That's very generous. They want our listeners to get good content, and so they support this show in part. Exactly. They want our listeners to get good content informationally, but also good content into their bellies. That's right. So I've got HelloFresh on the brain just because I've been cooking some HelloFresh lately. Yeah? I made a couple meals just this past week. One was a lemony spaghetti with Brussels sprouts. and Lemony spaghetti starring Brussels sprouts. Johnny Depp. Who played Lemony Snicket? Oh, that was Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. But I think there was a TV series where Neil Patrick Harris played the main villain, Count Olaf. Okay. Okay. I'm going to picture all three of those men making pasta. Got it. Correct mental image. No, it was quite good. I kept thinking like, I like Brussels sprouts. I feel like there's too many Brussels sprouts here, but it all worked out Mm. amazingly. Okay. The whole family liked it. And then last night I made a caprese sandwich and salad that went with it, which I'm a big fan of. I I love me a caprese sandwich, but my wife and son are not big fans of big chunks of tomato, but I will note they still ate the sandwiches. Hey, this is a meal service that will satisfy three people and make at least one person very (laughs) pleased. But That's really all you can ask for in a family meal. (laughs) The the great thing you can do with HelloFresh, though, is you say how many people you want to have food sent for. I choose four, and then we always have an extra meal or less. Leftovers and oh, this can be part of your campaign to get Kara pregnant again. How so? She has to make the fourth person. Oh, why didn't I think of that? That's <laughs> clear. <laughs> That's great logic. I'm gonna try it. See what happens. After you've chosen how many people you want, then you can choose the food that you want. And it's very convenient. If you don't want the meal that they've selected for you, you can go choose many other options. And even with the vegetarian option turned on, there's so many choices to the point where there's always a little bit of analysis paralysis. Like, well, do I choose this one? Oh, that looks good. You can even add more than are in your plan. It's very flexible. You could put it on pause, whatever you want to do. Maybe you haven't tried this, but could you order two of the same meal if you really liked the sound of one yeah they have a little plus and minus so you can increase Ah. the quantity oh that's nice yeah i like it and yummy food even for myself who is not a great cook i can follow instructions and it ends up really tasty and you paid american dollars for this this is not just they sent you food because you're a podcaster you were like I got free food before. Now I want to pay for the food. It was very good. I wanted some more HelloFresh and I used our offer code and it worked. Nice. <laughs> I thought somehow maybe because I had gotten boxes before that they would say like, no, you don't, Sneaky Pete. But uh, no, they- <laughs> You host this, don't you? It's <laughs> it's pretty cool. They, they work the free meal sort of into your plan for a few weeks. So essentially you just get like half off for a long time, which is really cool. Great. Love it. Just got my new box today. Oh, love it. Okay. And was it like a foolproof step-by-step recipe that met a joyful cooking experience in a stress-free summer? Yeah, that's a very good description. I've heard that meals take 30 minutes or less to cook. 
Does that sound right? Yeah, unless you're incompetent like me and you like measure thrice, cut once, but it all comes together. I'd say the normal person, it would take half an hour. It takes me an hour. Oh, wow. Oh, you really are cutting literally twice. And HelloFresh's newest menu release includes Mediterranean recipes that are filled with fresh fruits and veggies, nuts, olive oils, and fiber-packed whole grains for nourishing balance. Yum. And they have a curated selection of quick breakfast, lunches, sides, snacks, desserts, and more. It's a one-stop shop for all of your mealtime needs. So go to HelloFresh.com slash ONO16 and use code ONO16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash ONO16 and code ONO16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Okay, well, now that we've taken care of our basic sustenance, Mm -hmm. what if we have, say, a degree and we want to tell the world that we have it? Mm. How do we put that out there? Okay, we have Mm -hmm. a podcast, Mm -hmm. fine. But what if I want to make a website? I got you covered. Okay. Here's what you need. Carrypoppy.horse. How would I get Carrie Poppy? Well, that's probably taken. It is taken. It's taken by me. That's my website. I haven't looked at it in months. But that is that is a place where you can brag about your work is if you make a website about yourself. And I made my website about myself at Squarespace.com. So what if someone listening to the show wants to buy their name.horse or .com or biz or whatever? Yeah. Well, I have great news for that person because at Squarespace, first of all, that they even have the suffix dot org. <laughs> uh, excuse me, dot horse. Dot org would be so mundane. Dot horse. You don't just get that anywhere, I think, but you definitely get it at Squarespace and you can make the little, uh, what do you even call it? Like the little icon thing that's at the top left of your browser. The favicon. The favicon. Okay. You can make that a horse and mine is. So if you want this experience also, you can go to (laughs) squarespace.com and design your own website about yourself where you can brag about your degrees. Yeah, I know what people are saying. Like, wow, what is this magical horse producing website? Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Start out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience and sell anything your products, content you create, and even your time. You can also sell your products on an online store, whether you sell physical stuff or digital stuff. They have the tools you need to start selling online, whatever it is. And this is new. You can create pro-level videos effortlessly. The Squarespace Hmm. Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. I'm going to complain about this. Okay. I'm going to call them up and be like, "Um, I was told... I could make an effortless video. And I have indeed put in zero effort and there are no videos on my website. Hmm. And they're going to be like, is this that carrypoppy.horse person again? (laughs) (laughs) We really want you to stop calling. Squarespace helps those who help themselves. They're like, fine, we're changing the copy to like a little bit of effort. God, I hate this woman. Uh, But you can add online booking and scheduling for your classes or sessions to your Squarespace website and clients can easily see your availability or reschedule if needed. And it takes the hassle out of coordinating calendars. Go to squarespace.com slash ohno, O-H-N-O, for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ohno to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Do it! And they have dot horse. What are you waiting for? And back to Carrie. Okay. Uh, I'll first tell you, universities 
That's the longest part of this talk. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the home stretch. Okay, so licensing boards. Licensing boards make it legal to practice in your state if you do something really important, like you're a doctor or a veterinarian or a dentist or a therapist. In some states, like in California, you can't call yourself a therapist if you aren't licensed. Really watch for this because people don't know it and they do it. They'll say therapist when they are not, and that's a criminal act. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't even realize they're breaking the law when they do that. Of course, doctor can mean, like, a billion things, right? Well, three. Um, so the first thing most people think of is medical doctor. Um, here's a picture of Patch Adams. But it could also just mean they have, well, not just. It could, in addition, mean they have a PhD, a PsyD, and other doctoral-level degree. That's legit. If you find out that's what they meant and they're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes and, you know, give you a kidney transplant, totally legitimate to call yourself doctor if you have a PhD. I have run into this person who assumed the first name doctor. Incredible. Incredible move. Kind of have to applaud it. Um, so first you got to find out which thing they mean. Don't jump on the licensing board website, say, oh my God, he doesn't even have a doctorate or, uh, he's not even licensed to be a doctor. He must be lying. He might've meant, you know, I have a PhD in neuroscience, but I never claimed to practice medicine. So be careful there. Thank you. Three people. Um, see, this is her license. <laughs> She's okay. Thank you. That, oh my God! Thank you. Thank you. I deserve that. Yeah. Um, so licenses are like so easy. You should almost always be able to find them online. I check them in other states all the time. I live in California, but I check them in states across the U.S. all the time, and I haven't run into one state so far that doesn't have their licensing system online. If somehow that happens, I would say just call the board. But they will tell you the person's, the status of their license. Is it active? Is it canceled? Is it in good standing? Is it on probation? Because sometimes someone will be a legitimate practitioner, but they're on probation for something pretty grody. <laughs> and you want to know that, right? I had a friend who was in a real bad situation with a doctor. And I and she was like, Carrie, he went to Harvard and he's a real MD. And both of those things were true. But I went and looked up his license and he was on massive probation for some really gnarly shit. Yeah, basically in, injecting gas into people's veins. Yeah. So he was told not to do this and he had stopped doing it. <laughs> but he was doing all this other bullshit to her. So I was able to be like, this is not a person you want to trust you know, if, if, this, if they were on probation for something so egregious, right? It will often include past reprimands. If there isn't anything under past reprimands, that doesn't mean they're totally in the clear. There may have been one that was just really old and never made it on the website, but it probably implies that they haven't recently done anything that required the board to come down on them. It won't tell you if they have complaints against them. A complaint is just considered hearsay until it's investigated, which I know sounds a little grody, but it's what you'd want to. If you were the doctor, you wouldn't want every complaint thrown up on the website before it's checked. It won't tell you if they are being investigated. Investigations are private. And it won't tell you if they're good at their job. <laughs> but it's at least a good weeding technique, right? Um, so here's California's uh, license lookup. What's cool about California is 
almost all the licenses are just on this one centralized site called California Breeze, B-R-E-Z-E, I think. So the same website, you can look up your doctor, your dentist, your veterinarian, your cosmetologist, like pretty much anything that needs a license. So that's really nice. Other states may have them separated, but just Google it. (laughs) Just be like, license lookup, Massachusetts, veterinarian. You'll find it. Usually, you need at least an initial for the first name and at least an initial for the last name. The rest of this is usually optional. So, uh, yeah, we have boards and bureaus, business name, license type, license number. If you have those things, of course, it's going to narrow your search, you know, quite a bit. But um, you don't need it. Of course, if you just put an initial in first and last name, you're going to be going through hundreds of results. But Um, So here's my doctor. Dr. Samuel Huang. He's at Kaiser. I like him a lot. But because I like him a lot, I checked him because that's my bias, right? Liking someone is a bias and disliking someone is a bias. So I went and checked. Um, And sure enough, he is cleared. The public record actions are empty. So you'll see no information to meet the criteria for posting. That means nothing to see here. This part, survey information, this is on most state sites. This is self-reported. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I suppose. But usually they'll have to say how many hours they spend servicing clients and how many hours they spend teaching, how many hours they spend in research, that kind of thing. Just going back through the video in case it went by too fast. It also says his school name, his school graduation date, says that he met the requirements to practice, If you're getting a service from anyone, go and do this. (laughs) There's no reason not to. I almost sent my very precious doggy, Ella, to a vet with some gnarly-ass shit on this website. And if I didn't know that you could do this, that's where she would have gone. It was recommended by another vet. But then I went and looked and was like, no thanks. Your medical provider should always be licensed. (laughs) There's just, there's not an exception to this. Just don't let them bullshit you about this. Don't let your friend bullshit you about this. Someone could be amazing. They could be the most amazing, miraculous healer of the century. The medical board is not trying to stifle them by not registering them. They have not gone through the process if they are not licensed, and they are not being held to any standards if they are not licensed. So it's a huge red flag, um, and it can be a, a criminal offense. Yes. Ah, continuing education units. Oh, man, these are these are a complex bugger. I don't think any place says, wh- so sorry, the question was, if someone has continuing education units, which is a requirement that people who, who perform a service have to stay in touch with the research by going to these classes, usually like once every six months, once a year, could you figure out where they actually got those units? Probably not. You will be able to find out whether they are keeping up with the units, um, because if they're not, they're probably going to be put on some kind of probation. Unfortunately, CEUs are, like, almost not regulated. They're officially regulated, but there's almost no oversight in them. I've been to a CEU class at Harvard Medical School where the teacher said that he hypnotized a woman into walking out of her wheelchair. And it was accredited by the American Psychological Association. Yes. Yes. 
CEUs are kind of a shit show. <laughs> there are some great ones, and I'm sure the great ones are very frustrated that they're thrown in with the shit ones. So everybody wants the system to, everyone legitimate wants this system to improve, but it's kind of a shitty system right now. Uh, for therapists, you can look up behavioral license in your state. That's usually the language that'll usually get you further than like therapy license. In my opinion, U.S. psychological service regulation is pretty bad. <laughs> Our regulation of doctors, physical doctors, is much stronger. It just is. Um, so the fact that someone has a therapy license doesn't mean they're giving you science-based therapy. That's just a that's just a warning. There, um, if you if you listen to our show, we went and saw a therapist named Dr. Jerry Mungadzi, who had us. He gave us a a coloring sheet with a picture of the human brain on it, kind of like this. Gave us crayons and had us color in our own brains, and then he looked at that as if it were a cross section of my brain and said, "Oh, since you colored this pink, that." tells me that your brain intuitively was telling me that that area is gay. <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, hello, that's not the area of my brain that's gay. It's the amygdala. Um, so that guy was licensed. So, and, and he's been investigated and let off. So it's not everything. A license isn't everything. And in psychology, it's especially kind of a bad situation right now. Sorry. Okay. What if it's just not online? Does that mean that they're a fraud? Well, hang on. If you can't, if, if they're calling themselves doctor and you can't find their doctor's license, they might very well be doing something gnarly. Or you may have misspelled their name. You may have misunderstood which licensing board would govern them, et cetera. So just like, it's, I'm just encouraging you to pump the brakes a little before you go saying that publicly because you can get yourself in trouble. And about the, the F word, fraud. Um, so there are a few words that just historically in the United States have triggered lawsuits really easily. So it's just easier to avoid them if you can. So uh, fraud is one. Scam is another. <laughs> to a lesser extent, snake oil. So would the commonality in these things is that it implies that the person selling it knows that they're giving you something bad. Once you accuse someone of that, you're accusing them of two things, not just giving out a bad service, but knowing they aren't lying about it. So just be really careful about how you say this. And you can still say, this person says he's a doctor, but I couldn't find his license and the board of health couldn't find it. We all get it. We all know what that means. You don't need to put such a fine point on like, they're a fraud, they're a snake oil salesman. We get it without you doing that. But I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> um, anybody... Let's take a picture. <laughs> Hi, anal. Um, this <laughs> thank you. This stands for I'm not a lawyer. Um, my best friend is a lawyer, uh, and he's always telling me how funny it is when people say I am not a lawyer because when you're not a lawyer, your right to give advice to anybody you want is actually much greater because you can't accuse me of having given you legal advice. But that said. You know, I have a limited understanding of how the law will apply to your particular situation. And a question I get asked a lot, and I know my best friend gets asked a lot, is, will I get sued if I blank? The answer is always, 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 I don't know. <laughs> because anyone could sue you for anything at any time. That just means they filed a lawsuit. 
They went to a courthouse and they filled out a form. That's it. That's getting sued. So, yes, you can get sued for any of this. This part's out of your hands. Let it go. Don't live your whole life scared of this. I've gotten sued. I'm here. I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) But the real question is, if I got sued, could I probably win? And a lot of the time, these people are so used to intimidating people out of their speech rights. They're so used to it, especially if they're rich. Holy cow. There was a place in Costa Rica called Rhythmia that Ross and I went to that was an ayahuasca clinic that was claiming to cure suicidal depression with ayahuasca, a psychedelic uh, down there, and uh, claiming to cure cancer, claiming all sorts of ridiculous things. We reported on them, and they sued us. And we didn't back down. And it turns out we were very unusual for not backing down. This guy has sued, like, dozens of people. And I think we are the first ones to be like, go to town, bro. (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Um, In fact, he gave us a waiting period. He said, uh, he sent us a threat letter and said, if you you don't take down your episodes in 10 days, I'm going to sue you. And we said, you don't have to wait 10 days. So, uh, so he did, he sued us and we, because California has really robust free speech laws and because we had kept our documentation really, really clean, we could just show like, Hey, we told them we were coming. We told them we were reporting. We told them we'd be honest. We reported everything that really happened. This bloated millionaire is just trying to take away our free speech rights. And as a result, he had to pay our lawyers fees. But I am not a lawyer. Okay, so when you're talking about this stuff, in my opinion, your best odds are to label your opinions and name your documents. So here's something you might say. I suspect Dr. Pineapple is using the term doctor really loosely here. While she did achieve a PhD in integrative holistics from Spirit University, a rep for the California Board of Medicine could not find any licensed doctor by that name. You're probably looking at this and thinking, like, that would never come out of my mouth. (laughs) It doesn't feel human. (laughs) But you learn to talk this way. Um, And, you know, write it down first. Write it down for yourself and practice it. I mean, it sounds silly, but a tiny trip of accidentally saying fraud when it turns out she mistakenly misrepresented herself can get you in so much more trouble. So just, just be really careful. Um, So you can see here, I'm labeling my opinion. I suspect, I don't know, I don't know what her motivations were, but I suspect Dr. Pineapple is using the term loosely. And then I'm labeling my documentation, right? She achieved a PhD in integrative holistics. I know that because I have a document I can produce if asked. Maybe it's an email from the registrar and this thing about the California Board of Medicine. I have a document for that too, or I'm not saying it. And that document could be your notes. Again, it could be your notes. Make sure you write down the person you talk to on the phone, but it, that counts. Always cuff up your documents. Don't do this thing that some people do where someone on the other side of the conversation has asked you for your documents, and you're kind of pissed about it, and you're like, what, do you think I'm lying? I'm not lying. Just give it to them. Don't worry about what their motivations are. Show you are doing your homework. And it looks so suspicious when people do this. It looks like you do not have your documents. Just give them up. But I'm not a lawyer. Okay, licensing boards. Yes, purple shirt. I just had um, 
Yeah. Okay, so the question was, you want to speak out, but for whatever reason, producing your documentation would put you or someone else in harm's way. Is that about right? Um, gosh, what a specific situation. Boy, I can't – I believe you that this is a situation, but I'm having trouble populating an example in my head that I can work with. Maybe the exact thing itself, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the exact piece of information isn't a problem, but it's part of a document that contains mm. other information that, say, maybe has an unrelated third party's okay. information in it or, okay. you know, would reveal some piece of personal information that would, you know, mm. give away somebody's okay. privacy, you know, private now information. I'm yeah. So this this sounds kind of like um, similar to the situation we were talking about earlier. Like someone, let's say, changed their gender identity. You want to respect that, but you also want to talk about whether they really went to Harvard. So I would just redact it. I would take the documentation, run it through a PDF reader, and just put black boxes over whatever you want to protect for that person. Would cool. that work for what you're describing? I mean, that, that would work. I, I'm just thinking, no, that was my first thought. And then I thought of that story a couple of years ago at the New York Times where there was stuff that was that was blocked out and then uh, they w- were able to like immediately go in and like undo the block on the Word documents and find all of the redacted information. <laughs> Great job, New York Times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So you're going to want to add the box and then take a picture of take the picture PDF. Of, okay. or something that flattens it so that it is now just a plain image. And okay, not, so, and like yeah. make sure that you can't, like double check it, give it to someone else. Be like, here, look at this. Yeah, Make that's sure a good idea. Yeah, yeah, double. Yeah, great. Yeah. I, I saw a hand go up as if someone had a suggestion. Apple Preview has a specific redact feature. Oh, Apple Preview has a specific redact feature. And so it does, but you should double check if you use it correctly that you can't select the redact. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, great. That's great. Yeah, printing and taking a picture, you've completely flattened it, obviously, or, or scan, I suppose. I have also seen redactions where someone just, like, draws a line through half of the names. They were, like, in a hurry, <laughs> and you could totally see what's there. So, you know, be mindful of that. But, okay, yeah, Apple Preview? Apple yeah. Preview, maybe a good tip. Yeah, I mean, and make the thing, and then imagine that you are your worst enemy, and go back <laughs> to the thing, you know, and like be like, okay, if I were my worst enemy, how would I try to prove I'd done this wrong? And see if you can do it. Anything else? Hi. In the last section, we heard some examples of people using, uh, you know, pretty savvy language to indicate that they've achieved, like, a degree Mm. without actually saying I have. Like, for instance, I went to Harvard, but not claiming I have a degree from Harvard. Yeah. Have you heard um, equivalent examples of this by, you know, people who want to insinuate that they're licensed, but they're actually not? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so the most common way is just saying doctor and being vague about what you mean by it. So I kind of feel two ways about this. Sometimes someone has a PhD in a medical field, like maybe it's cardiology science, and they're talking about heart health, and they say doctor, and everybody assumes they mean MD, and they kind of let it happen. I'm not sure how I feel about that, because... Uh, personally, I'm a big believer in researchers, and PhDs are researchers. They gather even more data sets than a clinician does. They encounter more lived experience than a clinician does. So I think their word is as valid, sometimes more. 
But because people do make this implication that they're an MD, I do think they should clear it up. I think people should be really clear. I'm, I'm a PhD. So we just sort of know where you sit. Um, so that happens a fair amount. Then if someone just puts like DR, Dr. Blank, but they're not really like, you know, saying I practice medicine, that's also a way that they'll do it. And I don't think I've ever seen the medical board come down on that. If I just said I'm Dr. Carrie Poppy, but I'm not talking about anything to do with health, you still might assume that. That's the kind of thing I usually see. And then you're reminding me, though, that I promised I'd tell you this story. A friend was getting a really, really scary treatment from a guy who was not licensed. I went and found out he wasn't licensed. I got really <laughs> obsessive about this guy and actually showed up at his house with like a tape recorder in my bra <laughs> um, and stood outside. Don't go inside the house because then you can't record without their consent. So I had to get him to talk to me in his driveway and reported him to the board and they, they did fine him and the FBI investigated him. And then the, the other thing uh, you're reminding me of is a a nurse, a former nurse, her name is Kimberly Meredith, and <laughs> give it up for Kimberly Meredith, yeah, um, she, <laughs> she claimed to be able to heal people by blinking her eyes at them, it didn't work, um, but she would say, I'm a nurse, or I was a nurse, and she'd sort of alternate between those things, and when I looked it up, she had actually been a nurse's assistant for like two years, years ago, so that's the kind of waffling you see. Anything else? Okay, yeah. Uh, for, like Dr. Pineapple, who had a pseudoscience degree from Spirit mm-hmm. <laughs> you have language to dissuade people from still trusting, seeing, ah, I see letters after someone's name. Oh, right. Well, the way you just put that, I think, is very useful. The letters after someone's name, that that's all that person's really seeing because we see those and our brain kind of like smashes past it and goes, okay, this person's important, but really all we've seen is letters. So I don't have like a specific soundbite to give you, but I would say it's useful to say like, oh, I noticed all those letters. What do they stand for? Because <laughs> a lot of times Seattle turn out, it's like they got something from the chiropractic board. They're an energy healer, whatever. I know we only have, we have eight minutes for me to tell you about two more things. Fortunately, they're the things that take the most time <laughs> um, to actually do. So I, I would say focus your attention here last. But, okay, businesses and nonprofits. So the situation might be that you're concerned that a business is not on the up and up, but you don't really know who runs it. You don't really know where to start on this. There are two avenues. One is to investigate the business. But I think the quicker avenue is just figure out who works there, figure out who's in charge, get to the bottom of the individual instead of the business. In the U.S., we treat corporations like they're people, but it's not true. They're not. So find the actual person. So case in point, Rhythmia, this is the ayahuasca clinic I was telling you about that we went to. It is a California-based business, even though they're in Costa Rica. So that meant that the California Secretary of State did have a listing for them. So I could find out who ran this place by going to the California Secretary of State website. In most states, it'll be the Secretary of State who keeps the business listing. But you can also just Google, you know, Nevada business listing lookup. So Rhythmia had a bunch of red flags to begin with. I just... 
want to be straightforward about this. It was obvious something was up with this place. Um, they were talking about cure-alls. They were rarely referencing studies at all. There was really no connection with the science. They were using lots of testimonials. There were a lot of spiritual explanations. They were talking about miracle cures. So I asked, okay, who benefits? Like, who's making money off of this thing, right? So in this case, I went and found the website of the company, and I found their bragging page. That's what I call it. It's, the pla- it's usually called, like, About Me or Our History or something. People cannot resist bragging. <laughs> so you'll usually find the, your, your expert's name here. You really want to figure out who the founder is who the CEO is, and the LLC or corporation name. And that will be on the website, unless they're a really rinky-dink corporation. So here's Rhythmia's bragging page. We're pretending I have just heard about Rhythmia, so I Google Rhythmia Ayahuasca. I go to their website. I'm looking around. Okay, our story. That's probably going to have the bragging, right? Let's see if we can find the name of a human. Okay, who we are. So we have the CEO and founder right here. He gives me his whole name, including his nickname. And then he has his own bragging page. <laughs> this guy was, this is the guy who sued us. He's a, he's a real piece of work. Um, okay, I see him again. Okay, so now I know his full name is Gerard Powell, but he goes by Jerry. And you might find, like, oh, the name's a little different in different places. You're writing down each one. And then uh, from there, now we have an actual person. So we're going to go back in time now and go, okay, now that I know about Gerard, what has he said online? Like, is he talking about degrees? Is he a doctor? Is there anything relevant to him that he should be running a medical clinic? If they didn't brag, what you can do is go to the fine print, that, like, legal stuff at the bottom of the page. It might say terms and conditions, or it might literally say legal, um, but it'll be, like, little tiny, tiny fonts on the bottom. I get so much stuff there, you guys. I've gotten people's cell phone numbers from that. Yeah. So that thing that no one reads has, like, all the goods. So you can go there and usually find out. You'll definitely find out the name of the LLC there. You'll probably find out the name of, like, the chief operating personnel as well. And then you can use that to go to the Secretary of State website if you want to. See, now we've got different avenues. We have lots of options. Like I said, most states have a Secretary of State website. Here's uh, Rhythmia's fine print. If they hadn't bragged, this is what we'd do. We'd go to the bottom of the page. Terms and privacy. Oh, look at that. Copyright Rhythmia Life Advancement Center. So now I know the full name of what's probably like the actual legal business. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess. Here we go. I'm looking up California Business Lookup and searching for that LLC. Does everyone know the term LLC? Is that a familiar? Okay. Yeah, it means business. Um, so looking up Rhythmia. Okay, looks like they weren't registered as an LLC, so I go back. I say maybe they're registered as something else. Maybe they're, I click corporation. Let's try that. Ah, okay. So they're incorporated. And now I see again, Gerard Armand Powell. Okay, now I have a full name. Cool. Especially useful for lawsuits, because in lawsuits, people tend to put people's middle names for some reason. No, not to be very official, I guess. Um, on the Secretary of State website, look at all this documentation. Like, you can find their earliest registration, which people are often very blunt on. 
because when they're first starting out, they don't know what they're doing. So they might write like, you know, I cure herpes with water. And <laughs> it'll be in this document from their original founding. I don't have time to tell you about nonprofits, but nonprofits are their own wonderful little world of regulations. And because they don't pay taxes, they're considered beneficiaries of the U.S. government. So they do have to sort of interface with the government in an interesting way. They have to um, file a special tax form. And then if they get any sort of grant money, they are now subject to freedom of information laws because they are basically acting on behalf of the government by using that money. So just something to keep in mind if a nonprofit comes up, but we could do a whole talk on nonprofits, so we won't. <laughs> okay, businesses and nonprofit questions. Yes, Curtis. Why are scammers so bad at hiding their info? <laughs> Why are they so bad at hiding their info? I, I mean, I think a lot of them, well, so it's interesting you said scammer, <laughs> because, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> why are so many of these places that start to seem weird? Um, why are they so bad at hiding their stuff? But, you know, that's the answer's a little bit in the question. I think that they often don't really know that they're doing it. I, I think after doing this work for 11 years, I think most people really think they're doing good. I really do. I think it's quite rare that you run into someone who's like, all right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do bad now and I'm going to make money off of it. It usually starts with really believing in what you're doing, then gathering a following and kind of adding a bunch of what feel like white lies to you around the original claim. So when you start out, you're just like, yeah, I'm Carrie Poppy and I'm starting this thing and it's going to change the world. Ten years later, you have 20 staff members. You're trying to keep their salaries going and you're trying to save your own reputation and lying starts to feel a lot easier. And then you do start hiding that stuff. So go back in time as often as you can. People are honest the earlier it is. Oh! Um, who wants to take notes? <laughs> uh, those, those we'll save for the next class. But for you guys, you get this Certificate of Semi-Achievement. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on your grad school application, please. Yeah, uh, you know, this is uh, to prove the point, right? So you could leave here and be like, I'm actually certified in expert spotting. You could do that with this, right? Can you send it to Hawaii? Yeah, they will, so people can look it up. Oh, <laughs> yes, if you get investigated by the FBI and closed down, please send this to Hawaii for archival purposes. Hmm. Okay, so enter your names, and then if you want me to sign this, I will find me. <laughs> Lawsuits. Okay, real quick. <laughs> this is, again, the most intense thing you could do, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling you how to do it. But um, there's something called PACER. It is a repository of all the lawsuits in the United States that have gone through the federal system even if they've just kissed the federal system barely and then they were kicked down to a lower court, there's probably something there. Here are the lawsuits that Jerry Powell has filed. Oh my God. <laughs> we find 19 that have hit the federal court. And this does not include all the lawsuits that he's threatened, right? Um, these are the ones he's actually followed through on. Uh, so I'm in there. <laughs> But PACER allows you to search for a party. So if you've found that name of the guy who runs whatever business or the business name itself, you can search it 
through Pacer's search function, and it'll kick back any place that it has been involved in a lawsuit. Sometimes that person will be the defendant or that person will be an expert witness. So don't assume like something is bad here. If you looked up Carrie Poppy, you'd get a result because I've been sued by Jerry Powell. My favorite part of all of this is, well, I have two favorite parts. One is the docket report. Um, The docket report just tells you all the actions in every lawsuit. It's kind of the, like, agenda, if you will, everything that happened. It's all written in legal jargon. It'll take you forever to figure it out, but there it is. And then there's also a document tab that will give you all the PDFs, usually including the original complaint, which will be written in a much more narrative style. So whoever feels they were wronged will be like, Jerry Powell did this to me, and that's why I'm suing him. And that'll be much more readable, and you'll be able to wrap your head around it. So get creative. I mean, the, the real thing I want you to take from this is like you – yes, sorry. Urgent question. I just can't see, and I didn't get – Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yes, PACER is a federal site. It's uscourts.gov, and you do have to make an account there to use it. The account is free – searches do cost money, but they're like 10 cents, something like that. No, you're good. This is a government site. Yep. Pacer is the name of the website system, but Pacer is owned by the U.S. government. So yeah, the real thing I want you to take here is like, I want to move your locus of control inside you. These things can feel really overwhelming and like, We know there's regulation, but how does it work and what does it look like and how do I look these things up? If all you take from the, if you don't remember any specifics, but you walk around, walk away saying, okay, the information's out there and it's findable and I know how to Google, (laughs) you can find this stuff. You you really can. And and also, I think it's fair to say most of the people at MaxFunCon are big old libos like me. And we tend to have a, a, a fun personality quirk, which is we want the government to do more and we think they're bad at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we want to give them everything but also complain about it. Um, and, and, and in many, many ways that's deserved. But I think it's really good to see where things are working. And the fact that we can access this information That's the system working. It's really good. It's really encouraging. And, you know, we can talk so much about the things that are going wrong that I think it can kind of dissuade us from doing the work over time so you just feel so beat down. This is good news, you guys. Like, this is humanity stepping up for humanity. Um, Yeah. So join. Get creative. Oh, this is a bad doctor. We don't have time. But, yeah, I know, I know. He sucked. And, yeah, uh, finally, like, a lot of times you just hear like, well, why would they do that? Like, it's so obvious. You know, why, why say something so blatantly false? <laughs> it's so falsifiable. Who has the guts to do this? And the reality is most people just don't check. The fact that you're asking the question reveals that that is the mindset of most people. And they think no one would lie about that or no one would overstate that. And until... A single person goes and checks. We just don't know if that's true. So you can be the single person. Most people are telling the truth most of the time. So most of the time you'll look this stuff up and be like, oh, damn, they were on the up and up. I wasted my time. <laughs> but you didn't. You didn't. Because it's, a, it's weeding, right? It's scanning the horizon. It's seeing where the problems are. And in order to see those, we have to see where everything's going right as well. 
So participate in this system, please. And the good news is, you know I said reporters are an unlicensed class. You can call yourself a reporter if you want. That's right. The question is not whether you do it often. It's whether you do it well. If you write one excellent medium post about a shitty doctor, you are a good journalist. Most people don't do that. They write shitty blogs. You're doing something good. I don't care how many times you do it. If you do that well, you're a journalist and you're doing an excellent job. Okay, any other questions? Yes. I just had a question if there would be a run out of certificates. Oh, my God. <laughs> a certificate shortage. We have more. Okay, cool. Thank you all so much. I know I ran over. Oh, yeah, yeah. One more question. So my name is Karen Codding, comma, MD, comma, F-A-A-P. And, um, <laughs> I'm from Boston. And I just wanted to just recommend, if anyone hasn't seen it, there's a show called Dr. Death, which um, sounds like a lot of people know. But uh, Pacey from Dawson's Creek is, is a neurosurgeon who... <laughs> really actually ha this is a, it's a not fiction it really happened the other thing I just wanted to say on behalf of doctors is a lot of mid-level providers will use an assumption that they're the doctor but not correct people so that's a, a thing that sometimes can be frustrating um, uh, is that people, sorry mid-level what a mid-level provider so like a nurse oh. practitioner oh, or yes. mm -hmm. a physician assistant which usually it's fine but they'll often walk in, and sometimes they'll actually use, the, say, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and they're not. Oh, wow. So that's a thing. Um, and then lastly, yeah. if as you're doing journalistic research on doctors, um, just I want to point out mm -hmm. that there is a big problem with consumer rating sites like, like Vitals.com mm -hmm. and ZocDoc. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of HIPAA, if people post things about uh, yes. the doctors, even if it's 100% li like lies, mm -hmm. um, the doctors are not able to respond legally because it, it, it breaks the patient confidentiality reach, even just acknowledging that I know that that was a patient, that mm. I've now linked myself to them. So we can't say anything back. We're, we're on Yelp. Like there's, and oftentimes the people that post on Yelp about a doctor, it's usually because they're crazy and they just want to rant. And, and um, so I just wanted to mention that because you know, we can't say anything back, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, fair point, without guessing about the mental status of the writer. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm... <laughs> like, it's usually the people that want to complain are the ones that are going to yeah. go to Zoc Zoc, uh, that kind of stuff. Totally. And the people that love us don't go on those websites to say, yes. oh, well, I saw that someone said that, and I yes. want to make sure everyone knows I love my doctor, so. Love that, yeah. I think about this a lot. Like, I'll write a Yelp review because I incredibly loved the place, or there was, like, a rat turd in my food. Not, you know, you rarely are like, B plus, this was fine, right? So it's good, though, to, like, log the things that are just fine. I've, I've tried to do that more, like, put up a Yelp review where I'm like, decent burrito. So, yeah, I, I, if your doctor is a good doctor, maybe go and say so. You know, encourage the best of humanity. Okay, awesome. I, I know I ran over, so I want to let you go. But thank you so much for coming, everybody. Well, thank you, Carrie. Thanks for sharing your expert knowledge on expert hunting. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I hope it's helpful. I think it will be. And thank you all. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I guess that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Yes, and thank you. Thank you to everybody who supports us and makes this podcast possible. And we have something else coming up this coming weekend. Oh, that's right. Okay, so a couple 
couple deadlines here. This is your last chance to vote on what Carrie plays on the banjo. Eventually, we yes. will we will announce it shortly thereafter. But you have till the end of the day on June seventeenth to go to tiny URL Carrie Banjo. And then there was a slash in there between tinyurl.com and Carrie Banjo. And vote. It's on Reddit, so you have to have a Reddit account. But, you know, it's worth it. You get to have a say. And then the following day, June 18th, join us all for the live ketchup and Grey Poupon eating that we will be doing at my apartment live mm-hmm. for all of you at 1 p.m. Pacific time. And when you're ready to go there, not before, this isn't like an RSVP or a registration. This is just a link to join the Zoom call. It's going to be tinyurl.com slash catsupketchup. So mm-hmm. C-A-T-S-U-P, that's the stuff that Carrie will be consuming. And ketchup, as in you're seeing an old friend, C-A-T-C-H. UP. So follow that. That will take you to the Zoom link. Uh, it's going to ask you to log in to Zoom. So I hope you have a Zoom account. But then you're going to be on with us and you'll see us and you can ask questions in the Q&A. It'll be fun. And we will consume far too much condiment material. Yeah. So for Max Fun Drive, we made this goal that if we hit a certain number of new and upgrading members, Ross would eat a whole jar of Grey Poupon mustard. He hates mustard. And I would eat a whole jar of ketchup. I like ketchup, but that's significantly more than a jar of mustard. It's like two times as much. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm like, whose dumb fucking idea was this? I think it was yours. Now that it's six days away. That sounds like something Carrie would come up with. (laughs) (laughs) I was Carrie of the past. Everybody's a new person every day (laughs) and I disown her. All of those skin cells are gone. And this carry disapproves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I've grown. I've matured. I don't think I should do this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I will do it until and unless I begin to vomit. You know what? I should have a a buddy ready. That's a good idea. An amigo. That's right. The amigo from Rhythmia. Yeah, good. Oh, Rhythmia will come up in the talk that everybody just heard. Oh, yeah. They're familiar with Rhythmia. It's fine now. Fresh in your minds. Well, thank you again to all of our donors at Maximum Fun. You made that happen. So uh, so be there. Of course, we will record it and share it later because it'll be fun. Maybe I'll. Ooh, okay. I still have those shrooms from Conscious Life Expo. I can take the shrooms. Okay. Eat the ketchup. Oh, my. Maybe throw up. What an afternoon. Okay. All right. I've got to prepare my <laughs> prepare my apartment for. Well, I need to buy some plastic sheeting. Okay. Uh, yeah. It'll be great we'll fun. See. Hope to see you all. That's right. Just next weekend. So this will be fun. Yeah. See you there. And remember. You don't want information. You want documents. Hi, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. And the three of us host The Flophouse. It's a podcast where we watch a new bad movie and then we talk about it. Dan, you say it's hosted by the three of us. We've had a lot of great guest co-hosts like Gillian Flynn, Jamel Bowie, John Hodgman, Jessica Williams, Wyatt Cenac, Joe Bob Briggs, Josh Gondelman, Roman Mars. Yeah, and you said new movies. But what about the time we did Meatballs 2? Okay, okay. Yeah, sometimes we do older movies and sometimes we have guests, but mostly it's about us talking about like recent bad movies. And don't forget about the 
ones where I made you do a role-playing game where you played cartoon dogs. All right, yeah. But Shouldn't a promo be a really simple explanation about what our show's about? So what's the show about, Dan? What's it about? <laughs> what's it about? It's about friendship, all right? It's about our friendship and how we love each other. The Flophouse. It's a podcast mostly about bad movies on Maximum Fun. Do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the kids at your school who really loved Star Trek? You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with- Or a kid like me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives, but we ended up being podcasters. On The Greatest Discovery, you'll hear what happens to two lifelong Star Trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people, but just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love Trek. So listen to our new episodes every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.